0: Hi there, and welcome to the Birth Story Therapist Podcast, a safe space for mamas and parents to share their birth stories, discuss common issues experienced with parenting, feel heard and validated, engage in discussion about the complexity of their motherhood journeys and how they manage their mental health along the way. Come here every week to hear from mamas who are just like you, figuring it out one day at a time, Here from myself, Crystal, licensed therapist, host of this podcast, and private practice owner of Southeast Perinatal Counseling. I specialize in maternal mental health, if you haven't guessed already. I'll share helpful tips and techniques to manage your mental health as you navigate motherhood, both in the perinatal and postpartum period, As well as bring on other mamas so you can gain from their history, their stories, maybe some gems that you can apply to your motherhood journey. And of course, I also have on professionals within the maternal mental health space that might be able to offer additional techniques and resources to help you along the way. So, I am so thrilled to have this mama on today's podcast. I truly think her story will provide insight into some of the challenges that mamas experience when trauma is present throughout their journey in motherhood and how we can all find the courage within our journeys to reclaim our stories and become advocates for ourselves and for our future. Her story resonates with me as a mama and so many others that I know will be able to connect with this through your sharing and the consults that I've already had. I know that you're gonna be able to identify with her story also. Tell me a little bit about yourself, maybe about the littles that you have. About your family, anything else that you think would be helpful in us just being able to connect with you within this hour?
1: Hi, Crystal. Yeah, thank you for that introduction, and thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, so my name is Danny, and I've got a 15-month-old. I'll tell you about her story, um, but just a little backstory for my family. I met my husband in college, and we just had the same friend group. We became really good friends, and um, got along really well had a lot in common and never kind of wanted to take it further than that for fear you know you'd mess up the friendship and then at some point i guess we both started kind of reaching out to date others and that just snapped us back to each other and we're like okay no we don't want that we definitely want to try to um to have this adventure to see where it takes us and it obviously took us um into marriage we married in 2017 so almost four years now we've been married. Um, And then in the beginning of 2019, we decided that we wanted to start um, trying to grow a family. Um, So, you know, in January of that year, I came off of birth control, and um, it took a little while for my body to figure out how to, you know, balance and make its own hormones. It took about five months um, for me to ovulate on my own. But we were very, very lucky that very first time we um, got pregnant. and had a relatively easy pregnancy. Um, Just a couple of the discomforts and pains that are common through a lot of pregnancy, um, you know, morning sickness, which really should be called all day sickness for the first 12 weeks. It was just, I was absolutely miserable, but joyful at the same time, um, just because of where it was taking us. Um, Second trimester was fairly easy. I actually did have to go to the hospital for what I thought was kidney stones, which I've had before, um, and it just felt like that kind of pain. And I got there and it was just Braxton Hicks, you know, nothing really to be concerned about, but just, to, you know, again, another pregnancy discomfort. And I had that throughout the rest of pregnancy. Um, and then third trimester, again, no complications, just, just tired of <laughs> being pregnant by that point, you know, just very heavy, very uncomfortable, can't sleep. Um, But overall, very, very blessed to have a relatively easy, uncomplicated pregnancy. Um, So I can jump into my birth story now. So by the end of pregnancy, they said that um, my daughter was measuring big, um, which I know can be skewed. Uh, She ended up being 8 pounds, 10 ounces at birth, if that gives you an idea. I can't really remember what they had estimated her weight to be, but they just said measuring big. So they wanted to schedule an induction. Um, So at 39 weeks uh, on the dot, I had my induction scheduled. We arrived at the hospital. Um, I really didn't have any fears. I had done a lot of research about it. um, And I don't know, I'm just usually not a very fearful person. And I've got a pretty high pain tolerance. So I just. Felt prepared. Um, I didn't have much of a birth team. Just you know, the um, medical professionals um, and my husband, my birth partner, and um, I ended up having my induction scheduled with an OB that was not my regular OB. Um, I just trusted that. Um, I was just very trusting. I just assumed any OB would know what they were doing. And in hindsight, I should have gone with the OB that I had built a relationship with over the course of the past, you know, almost 39 weeks. But we got to the hospital um, and started the induction process with a Foley balloon. I ended up not being able to sleep that night. They gave me some medication to help me sleep, but the Pain wasn't overwhelming. I just couldn't sleep. Maybe it was the anxiety, the combination of the discomfort, the the contractions that had been going on for a while. I'd actually, when they hooked me up to all the medical equipment, it turned out I had been in labor already, which I just thought was, you know, normal discomfort. It was early labor. I had no cervical progress, Um, so it's just not something that I was able to really pick up on. But um, so anyway, I got to the hospital. It really started going once they were giving me all these interventions. Um, So the next morning, after a night of not great sleep, um, things really started getting going, um, started giving me Pitocin and upping that over the course of the day. Um, The nurses came in and told me that at some point they were going to break my water, that the doctor was going to be anytime soon to break my water. And it just, hours went by, and the doctor had still not come to even speak to me. Um, I hadn't seen her since the Foley balloon was in place the night before. Um, it just felt like forever, you know. So I was trying to, you know, progress myself by you know, bouncing on the, you know, the ball they give you, by walking around, doing whatever I could, um, just from what I had read about, but not really knowing what I was doing. So eventually the doctor does come in and breaks my water and all the contractions just hit me at once. I went from maybe like a three or four out of 10, just a discomfort pain to like 10, 11 out of 10 discomfort. I mean, I told you I'd had kidney stones before and this was nothing even compared to that. It was just this out of your mind pain. So I was immediately begging for the epidural um, and just making these like just weird animalistic noises. I just didn't even recognize myself. It was just very, very intense. Um, So some amount of time went by. It felt like hours to me, but it was probably just a few minutes. Uh, Eventually, the anesthesiologist came in and gave me my epidural. Things started slowly calming down. Um, I was able to relax a little bit. And so it was very, I don't know, just Nothing too exciting after that. We just kept waiting. You know, I wasn't allowed to move around after the epidural. So I was kind of just helpless at that point, just hoping my body would figure out what to do um, and get it done. So at this point, I'll say that, you know, I came into the hospital um, at zero centimeters. My cervix was at zero centimeters. And by the time um, they broke my waters, I think I was about five centimeters, Um, maybe a little bit less. But I know over the course of two hours, I went from five to almost six centimeters. I didn't quite make it there. Um, And that's when my doctor came in and said I had, um, I was diagnosed, I guess, with failure to progress, or she said I was a failure to progress. Um, And just a little aside, if anyone wants to look up something called the renaming revolution, I'll just say it at this point, um, they, they go into deep discussion about using terms like failure to progress. But anyway, I'll get back into our conversation. Just a little aside. So since I was a failure to progress, she said that we'd have to go um, the route of a C-section. She suggested that my only successful outcome would be a C-section. She didn't give me any other advice. Um, She didn't give me a chance to have a break. You know, I'd gone, um, let's see, it was maybe 30 hours at this point, over 30 hours without any food, um, even longer without any sleep at this point. So I was exhausted and too tired really to advocate for myself. Um, too fearful and tired to ask for a second opinion or other advice. Um, so I just agreed reluctantly to a C-section It is what it is. Um, at this point I started getting really scared. I started having uncontrollable shaking, which um, I read later it was very common for this. Um, and yeah, so pretty much as soon as I agreed to the C-section, just uh, a whole team of medical professionals was coming in and out, and it was just a whirlwind at this point. I don't really remember what they're asking, but they were asking a bunch of questions, um, getting me hooked up, getting me prepared. Um, and so, yeah, so my husband was just trying to comfort me at this point. He was very scared too, but um, he was doing great encouraging me. And so I got to know my anesthesiologist who was probably the um, biggest rock for me throughout this, especially over um, the next couple hours. Everything that happened is really when the trauma started. She was just an absolute rock for me. Um, so we got to um, the, the OR. Um, my husband got you know, prepared, scrubbed in. And so the C-section from when you start to when your baby is born really doesn't take very long. Um, so the, you know, my daughter was here within what felt like a few minutes probably. And so I could hear her crying, which is, you know, the first really magical moment for me. And I just remember crying and, and, and you know, reassuring my husband that I could hear her. Um, But I guess at this point is when I started hemorrhaging. So overall, throughout the um, surgery, I ended up hemorrhaging four pints, almost four pints of blood, which is a lot. It's um, the point where you're very confused. Your heart might struggle to maintain blood pressure. Um, You're very scared. You know, my shakes had increased at this point, the surgical shakes, I call them. Um, I wasn't able to see my daughter. They brought her to my head in an attempt for me to meet her, um, but I was too weak to even turn my head over. I was too dizzy to even turn my head over to meet her. Um, so this this was, you know, another point of trauma. There's a lot of little traumas that I had to work through later, and this was one of them. And uh, so, yeah, I was just crying and, and letting my husband know that I couldn't meet her. So anyway, they got rushed out at that point because things were getting serious. Um, and so I was, you know, I was very alone during the next um, majority of the surgery. The majority of the surgery is them sewing you up and getting you cleaned out, delivering the placenta, all that. Um, so I was alone during all that, and it was very, very scary. Um, I didn't technically lose consciousness um, throughout the surgery, but I, things get very fuzzy. I remember listening to your birth story, Crystal, and you said things got very fuzzy. And that's, that's how it was for me to, I, just remember like random bits and pieces, random images from the OR in my mind, random things that my anesthesiologist said to me. I remember just turning to her constantly and like asking, am I still breathing? Is my heart still beating? Cause I literally couldn't feel those things happening. I wasn't sure that they were happening and just because of the confusion of the hemorrhage. Um, so I just have images and just little sound bites of her reassuring me. Um, and so the, then it, it eventually once I got my air quote consciousness back, I was in the ICU and it was very much like in movies where they try to um, show you that the character has lost consciousness and they're coming back too. It's like, you know, you start with a black screen and the lens gets wider and the image comes into view. It was, it was like that. And I remember hearing somebody moaning like a animalistic, pained moaning. Um, and I was just very disconnected from it. And as I got my consciousness back, it turned out that was me. It was just very confusing. I was the one doing that moaning. Um, and then eventually like the pain I was in hit me, even though, you know, at a base level, apparently I was feeling that cause my body was, you know, making these pained moans, but I just didn't quite recognize. So eventually I, I came to, I was in the ICU um, and I was just uncontrollably vomiting and uncontrollably shaking. Um, so this went on for a little while, um, it's just things, fuzzy things happen around me. At some point they brought my daughter in on one of those, those hospital carts to meet her. And I just kept saying over and over again, I can't, I can't, I can't. Cause I was scared, you know, I was going to vomit on her. I was scared I was, I was shaking too much. I couldn't hold her. I was too weak. Um, but fortunately, they left her there for a little while in case just something took a turn. Um, and I'm very headstrong. I eventually got really frustrated. It was just such a, a a tease to have my newborn daughter there who I haven't met yet. She's in a cart. I haven't seen her face yet. Um, it was just such a tease to have her there, and I couldn't hold her. So I just got very frustrated, and I said, okay, just let me try. And so this, um, besides, you know, the first time I heard her cry, this was, I guess, the second magic moment of the the experience they put her on my chest and the vomiting and shaking that they had such trouble getting under control just instantly stopped um so that was just an incredible experience for me I was I had been waiting for that magic moment that you know you see in media where you know the the OBs are like a congratulations you did it and you know they put the baby on your chest it didn't look like that for me this is what it looked like was Hours after baby had been born, um, so such a struggle for me. And they I finally had her and just magically took care of these complications I was having that medicine couldn't take care of. Um, so I had that peace for a little bit. It didn't last long. You would think at this point this would be the ending and the end of the traumas. But as my epidural wore off, um, my pain started coming back. Um, really, really bad. I had, um, I guess, I had this balloon inside of my uterus. They, okay, to keep my um, uterus open so that the hemorrhagic bleeding and just like, maybe hemorrhagic bleeding, normal bleeding, I'm not sure, just the blood could come out. Um, and they had had it too big. And so my uterus was contracting on this oversized balloon inside of it and it was causing. You know, just that 10 out of 10 birth contractions again, but this time without an epidural. So, again, I go into this just animalistic groaning, like, don't recognize myself, just overwhelmed with pain. And the two nurses, there were only two nurses in the ICU, just got really wide-eyed. And they weren't quite sure what to do to take care of the pain. And they just kept pumping me with more morphine. And at some point, I just remember telling them, like, no more morphine, just take it out, just take it out, like referring to the balloon. so they called the OB and couldn't get through. Um, they called a couple more times, eventually got through to the OB, and she, uh, she essentially said, like, I'm at home. I'm not coming back. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you that this at least made it feel for me like my uh, C-section was a rushed intervention just to end her shift. I can't say that for sure. I don't know what was in her mind. Um, I never found it within me to go back and ask, but that's at least for me what it made it feel like. Um, so they, the two nurses were rushing around trying to find somebody to help these complications I was having. Um, they eventually found a hospitalist and I think a radiologist. I'm not exactly sure. Just They just random um, professionals to come assist. And so they started doing all these Random tests on me, taking ultrasounds to figure out why I was still in so much pain. Um, pushing down on my uterus, which caused a ton of pain for me. Just uh, they couldn't figure out what it was. Eventually, they decided, okay, yeah, the balloon is too big. Her it doesn't fit inside her uterus. You're risking uterine rupture. You need to decrease the size of the fluid within it. Um, so they did that, and they put me on a lot of pain pump, and that seemed to take care of it. Um, so that's the end of the complications really. Um, I, at this point, I don't know how long it had been. I almost 52 hours without sleep for me. Um, and the nurse who, uh, I'll say they just, they didn't have the resources to take care of me. And I, I feel for them really, I think they were really scared, but she just said something kind of awkward. Like, um, don't, don't worry now you're, you're on Dilaudid. This is the stuff they use on, on the streets, this stuff they try to sell on the streets and people will fall asleep and not wake up on, you're not going to feel a thing. And so that immediately put me into fight or flight. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I fall asleep, I'm not going to wake up. So, you know, after 52 hours of sleep, my body is like pulling me into sleep. It needs it so badly. But my brain was like, no, you're going to die. You've already been through all of this. Like you have to fight this. Um, and I just remember at some point, my husband was staring at me with, like, fear in his eyes. Um, and he switched out with my mother, who came to take care of me in the ICU. And, and she saw me fighting sleep, too, with fear in her eyes. And it was just very scary. Eventually, my body went out, and um, I was able to sleep. The next day, I woke up out of the ICU, just in a um, postpartum room. And my daughter was there, Um, so still very exhausted, very weak at this point. And I I could hear my daughter crying, Um, and so we decided, you know, she's hungry. We we called the lactation consultant, um, and a couple minutes went by, which is forever in hungry baby time, you know, and the lactation consultant still wasn't there. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing, but let's just try this. And so this was that third magic uh, postpartum moment for me was when I brought her to my chest. And she, even though she had had, you know, a few formula feeds at this point um, with me being in the ICU and the OR, she just latched instantly and perfect and fed perfect. And it was just magic for me. Um, and I'll, I can tell you um, after this about my my uh, birth trauma therapy and what we went through briefly but at some point we kind of went over my birth story and we titled it and it comes from these three magic moments and the title of you know my birth story is uh, a moment of magic in the midst of madness and this is that's where that comes from um, so really that's that's the end of the hospital experience that, I, that should be shared I guess I can answer any other questions but that was the whole birth experience of course we went home and um, I had a lot of other struggles, but um, with just being so weak and healing from the surgery and and just regular postpartum stuff, figuring out how to breastfeed, figuring out you know how to take care of this new little human that you have. But um, was, that's probably the end of the trauma right there—the little traumas that built up over that course of being in the hospital.
0: I'll tell you, Danny, I. Um... Admire women who have the courage to revisit these traumatic experiences, um, and I've told you before that I know it's not always easy to do this. So, um, I my heart is just <laughs> completely open to to you, and I'm just honored to hear your story and to be able to have this space where um, your story can be held because it's so important. Um, and I know it's, it's beautiful to so many others. I mean, as I hear it, I, I see strength, I see courage. I mean, there's so much that I can identify with and admire, um, but there's also that pain that you can't avoid, um, the emotional and I'm sure physical pain that you experience throughout delivery and in your postpartum period. And I just thank you for being open and being authentic and transparent with sharing your story um, because people need to hear it. So I just want to say that first. I appreciate you for sharing. Um, so you mentioned quite a bit these animalistic noises or sounds that you would hear come from you that you had no idea <laughs> where on earth they came from, um, You also made mention to the fuzziness that you also experienced. When you look back on um, those noises or the fuzziness, how do you think that those experiences alone have sort of shaped your understanding of how incredibly, I guess, powerful it is um, to bring life into this world? Um, because those are experiences that, one, you don't expect to have, right? You, you hear these new sounds that you, you can't even imagine coming from your body. And um, to some degree, that fuzziness even is also quite unexpected. So talk to me about how powerful those experiences are as you reflect on, you know, bringing your sweet child into the world.
1: Oh, well, it's, um, I guess, a very powerful experience. I definitely, in retrospect, thought a lot about those particular um, things and, and my story and and the research to see if anyone else had experienced them and um, found that a lot of women um, in labor make the animalistic grunting noises, which just made me feel, um, I don't know, a, a ta- it's just proud to be a part of the the club of womanhood, I suppose, because uh, our bodies just know what to do. They're just, this animalistic grunting noise that I couldn't even recreate now, if you asked me. I just, my body just did it and knew what to do. So even if your birth doesn't turn out the way you expected, your body knows to take care of you. And with the fuzziness, too, I guess there were things that just shouldn't be remembered. I mean, there were already so many little traumas, just... Just even my brain knew how to take care of me. Um, just women are amazing, and we just have uh, so, uh, just we're just so strong, and our our bodies and our minds just know to take care of us. Like I said, even if our experience doesn't look how we thought it should look, um, we we still have within us so much power, and um, that was re definitely reinforced by this. The, the, you know the. Natural noises, I guess that my body knew how to make um, the, um, the, just the things my mind knew how to do to take care of itself, to take care of the, to take care of its own sanity um, throughout the experience. It was definitely very powerful.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting that you brought up um, just like the the your body knowing how to take care of itself, and we know that with trauma, and I know you've probably done research on your own and you've been in therapy that. You know to some degree you um, have these out of body experiences to protect you um, and to get you through. It's almost as if it's a like a coping mechanism. Um, and so you're right. I mean, we are incredible beings and um, it's absolutely terrifying, but at the same time, I am thankful for. Um, having the ability, and I know you are too, to have moments where you're able to say, I'm glad that my mind and my body were able to show up for me because in some ways you were not able to. I know I was not able to show up for myself in some moments. Um, So I'm thankful for that and for you sharing that as well. You also made mention, it's so interesting. I told you before through email that we have such a similar story, but I did not know that your anesthesiologist was such a rock for you in the OR room. And I was over here chuckling as you were sharing your story because I was like, dang, like that's also something that's quite familiar. Um, Really?
1: Oh, yeah. But I was listening to your your, um, episode where you shared your story. There were just so many similarities. And that's just funny that we're finding more.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I um, I recall. So recently, I got my uh, what do you call it? my medical record to review it because I also and you're going to share a little bit more about what you're planning for the future, but um, am also trying to plan for the future. And um, I was telling my husband recently that the anesthesiologist who we had, like I can recall, having conversations that helped me to get through the difficulties of being. In labor and going through the OR process and specifically HGTV and so it's just so interesting that you may mention that they were a rock for you because they certainly served in that capacity for me as well Um, so it brings up the the conversation about just support teams Um, how do you think that your spouse um, also served in a supportive capacity for you
1: um so he definitely provided the emotional support um just just being the absolute biggest cheerleader um even if he didn't know how to say you know predict what's coming next physically um or even mentally for me you know specifically for my unique experience he just knew how to encourage me generally um he just kept saying like when the when they said okay C-section time he just reassured that he was so proud of me like so impressed with everything that I had done so far um, they were almost there, you know, just, I don't know. He just knew exactly what to say to hype me up, even though I just didn't think I had anything emotionally left in me. He, he was able to, he just knows me so well that he was able to draw out what little bit was left. Um, so he he was so important to have. And, um, eventually when I uh, had my birth trauma therapy, I brought this up a lot, just, just the little things he said, I recall randomly something he said. And so obviously just random things he said stuck. And um, so that was very important to have him there cheering me on, being my cheerleader, even if he didn't know what to expect. And he was just as afraid um, experiencing all of that in real time with me.
0: Yeah. I echo everything that you just said. It it, it just highlights the need for, women to have such supportive persons in the room, be it their partner, um, be it their medical team, or um, even doula and um, family, even if they're <laughs> at a distance on on calls and such. But it's so important that way we're able to, you know, be able to know that you're not alone in this very, very challenging and difficult experience of literally having your life in someone else's hands um, and not knowing what to expect next. And so along those same lines of going from having uh, <laughs> dilated and being told, quote unquote, failure to progress, which I have my own issues with that term and so you started talking yeah you started talking to us a bit um, it sounded like you wanted to go there but then you stopped and came back to your store but no danny we're going there i, I want you to share with us um because i have my own whew, i have my own stuff with that it brings about so much shame that word failure um so yeah talk to us a little bit more about that from your perspective
1: um well i, I there there's a group I guess called peanut on I saw them on Instagram is where I first found them and they started something called the renaming revolution and I don't know if there's other um, other trends or groups like it but that's the one I had kind of dived into um, and they have a lot of issues with the name failure to progress um, failure to descend failure to thrive you know all these names used in women's health And it makes the woman feel like a failure. Um, And a lot of these terms, while they may be what the doctors have to use, which, you know, medicine can advance. I don't think they necessarily have to use them. But if they feel they have to use them in the background, at least in the forefront table manners, they can describe what's happening in a different way. Because, um, I mean, women are going to go through so much, no matter what their birth story looks like, that throwing around the term failure, just put something on them and it can add stress that is bad for baby, bad for them. It might, um, slow down their labor to feel like they're not doing something right. It just, it's a lot. And they're, um, yeah, so th- there, there needs to be some kind of change with that.
0: There does, there, there absolutely does. And I, um, for one experience, which is probably why I'm so proactive now that I am much more, um, aware of what happened throughout my birth experience. Just reading over my medical chart and seeing that word, um, and even hearing it, uh, it did it brings about so much shame and being able to decipher between um, a medical complication in you assigning that word failure to yourself is completely different. And um, I think the work that I believe you said peanut, I think I followed them on Instagram as well. Um, that they're doing and others in the community and you sharing your story and your experience as well um, helps to dismantle that terminology that is not helpful to our mental health within motherhood. So I really appreciate that. There was uh, something that you mentioned earlier. You said that you, um, you know, were were dilating and in retrospect, I guess now that you have done research and I'm not sure if you're a part of groups on Facebook, <laughs> um, but now that you've done your research and in retrospect, looking back, what do you think could have been different? In terms of your medical staff showing up for you in a different way, what would have been more helpful for you?
1: Um, so, a lot of different things, honestly. There were a lot of things I would have changed if I could. Um, having done, you know, the more specific research unique to my situation, my situations, um, I eventually went and found another OB just because I. I was never going to go back to this OB. There was just too much associated with them at this point. I went to another OB and reviewed my case, and they said that my cervical progress was normal for a first-time mother um, and that they found um, going being deprived of food and sleep for as long as I had um, could have contributed to my slow labor um, and that they it was unethical in their opinion. Um so i mean we can't know you know exactly how things would have turned out if i had been given the opportunity to take a break which i did not realize was an option um when i was going through that this this new ob said it was that i could have taken a break and that rest um can really help a mother to progress can really help labor to progress but uh yeah so you know in the future that'll that'll look a lot different i know i know certain things that I need to advocate for myself now. Um, I probably would change doing, having an induction for myself overall, because I know that is a risk factor for some of the complications I had. Um, I know in retrospect now that showing up to the hospital and it turned out I had already been in labor, um, that that was a risk factor. And that's something that the uh, my medical team should have been looking out for and should have known that being in labor that long was a risk factor for hemorrhage. And my OB should have known when they made me wait that long to break my waters that that extending labor like that was another risk factor for hemorrhage. There's just a lot of things in retrospect. Um, and I guess putting all of that on my medical team isn't fair, but it's just, you know, one of these risk factors should have been picked up and discussed a little bit, but you know, now I know um, a lot more than I did. And I know um, these particular things I need to advocate for for myself in the future.
0: So you speak of being an advocate for yourself in the future. And I know you share with me in the future what your plans are. Um, if you're wanting to share, um, share with us a little bit about what that might look look like in terms of advocating for yourself.
1: Sure, yeah. So um, if we do decide to um, grow our family further in the future, there's a lot of things will um, change. Um, So I know now that being an advocate for yourself is extremely important Um, throughout your pregnancy, um, just speaking on discomforts and, and things that don't feel right. If your OB says something that just doesn't feel right, you can challenge them. You can ask for a second opinion. That's something I never would have done. I was just way too trusting and I was way too, um, you know, just put your head down and, and go with the flow. These OBs know what they're doing. Um, And while that's true to an extent, um, not every medical professional deserves our trust and not every medical professional knows everything. So um, it's very important to speak up on just the little things. And during, um, labor too, to advocate for yourself, but that's where it can be especially challenging, especially if you have a long labor, you just become so exhausted um, in every way, physically, mentally, emotionally, that it's so challenging to advocate for yourself. So that's why it's important to, um, if if it fits for you to expand um, your birthing team to not just medical professionals, um, but to maybe an emotional support person Um, a trained emotional support person, or a doula, which is something we will add to our birthing team in the future. Um, And a doula is, they're, you know, they're trained, they know um, the entire birth process, they're specifically trained for that, but they also act as an advocate for you. Um, And so that's, that's something I should have done the first time around, but I was just too and I'm trusting, I guess, to <laughs> big-headed. I just thought I everything would go fine, and I didn't see the need for it, but now I absolutely do, and that's something we'll do going forward. Um, just for me personally, because I had such an issue with the induction, and I know that was something that contributed to my hemorrhage um, because of the cascade of interventions, which I found out later is a term. Um, I got stuck in that cascade of interventions. I'm going to try to avoid that altogether. I'm going to try to go into labor on my own, um, as hard as that is, because uh, just, you know, in that third trimester, it feels like forever. And I felt like I was never going to go into labor. Um, But that's just something I'll definitely have to do going forward and to try to avoid um, the Pitocin especially, which can cause those very strong uterine contractions that can lead to hemorrhage. Um, But again, that's just what that looks like for me. That's specifically what I'm going to do for myself in the future, just because I know I'm at risk, but that might not be the best for everybody. I'm going to try to avoid getting into that cascade at all, if possible, by just avoiding as many interventions as possible.
0: Right, yeah. You know, it's so interesting. I feel like a lot of moms who go through trauma, a lot of moms that have complicated birth experiences, Um, often reflect back on those cascade of interventions. And I'll tell you, even with my, in a moment of transparency, with my own birth experience, um, and a lot of moms who I see in my practice as well, talk about different emotions that come about because of those interventions. Things like guilt and shame and even grief when we think about, you know, as you mentioned, one intervention leading to the other, more risk being involved, involved, more complications. Did you see any of that within your own experience, I guess, with therapy or just working through processing your own birth experience? Any of those emotions also present within your story?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you just made everything you just said to a checklist, I, I checked all of them <laughs> off. I mean, um, yeah, I felt shame that I had failed and that I didn't do something right and that I had to uh, air quote settle for these interventions Um, and I felt um, I felt like I had my um, ideal birth stolen from me so I felt angry um, and cheated yeah I just felt a lot of negative emotions um, all associated with that intervention so I just thought it was birth would be something that would just come naturally to me and it would just look Pretty and picture perfect, um, like a lot of the ones that you see that are, you know, have had minimal interventions and minimal complications. But that just wasn't the case, and it, it did take a lot of therapy to work through all those negative emotions and and change the narrative into something that I accepted and, um, you know, just the the narrative of how my birth went um, in my mind.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you mentioned therapy, and so I. I'm a therapist, so obviously I'm an advocate of the, uh, advocate of therapy. Um, but talk to me a little bit about, because I know for a lot of moms, or people in general, therapy can sometimes be um, taboo within certain cultures. It can also be something that um, just is so unfamiliar that there's fear involved. And so what allowed you, do you think, um, to help you sort of see the need for therapy as being a part of your healing journey um, and finding hope again with, with your, your future births, if y'all continue to grow your family, like, what do you think it was? Do you think it was finding a good fit? Like, how did you dismantle those fears? If you had any, uh,
1: it helped a lot that I'd had therapy before in the past, before pregnancy, just for, um, anxiety. So I kind of knew what to expect. And that took a lot of the fear out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I knew I had success with that type of therapy in the past. Um, And a lot of it was I I went as long as I could without it and eventually came to a point where I knew I couldn't ignore it any longer. So the trauma really started setting in for me during the start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. So I kept pushing it off because, you know, I didn't want to go into an office. I just wanted to stay at home and be as safe as possible. Um, But then I just started having all these, I guess you could call them symptoms. I was getting horrible sleep um and later found out i was at night i was still in like fight or flight um Mm. i my i didn't want to go to sleep i thought i would die in my sleep or that something would happen um and so i was only getting like two or three hours of sleep a night it would take me hours to fall asleep and so that my body was like shutting down and um and then even during the day random things would trigger me um and I'd like space out while I was playing with my daughter and that was really sad and I just knew I couldn't keep having that. Um, And then of course the occasional panic attacks, all these different symptoms, and I just knew it was something I couldn't ignore and that I absolutely needed help. Um, And so that, all of that combined kind of got me over any fears or um, anything I was hesitant about got me over that.
0: Yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that. one, it, it just normalizes therapy, but it also lets moms know that like these are these are real things that can happen, and you're not odd or unusual or this one-off chance that this is happening. That we all have those same um, experiences or similar experiences and fear, but it doesn't have to. Um, Exist within and just kind of create a create a living space within our within our journeys in motherhood that we can um, get help and it can be temporary and we can recover. So I really appreciate you just being transparent about your experiences with therapy. Cool. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, And you may hear my little one in the background. Um, (laughs) um, But yeah. Okay. So still on the therapy. I really wanted to hear about, um, you know, what helped you to kind of surrender to the other side. You know, we talk a lot about Um, emotions in therapy and, you know, unhealthy or really tough thoughts that we have to sometimes sit with in order to really work through some of our experiences within motherhood and birth. And so what do you think, or how was it for you rather to actually feel some of the maybe tough emotions that we typically don't want to feel because they're so uncomfortable uh, but how was it for you to sort of experience those and learn that okay, I have the capacity to work through these things and not stay in this place where, um, where it it can be debilitating. Um, what 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 allowed you to to see yourself in that light? Um,
1: a lot of working through that was perseverance. I mean, some therapy sessions I'd go into and I'd be like, oh, that felt really good. And then, yes, there were other therapy sessions where I had to sit with these horrible feelings. I had to relive the story and the trauma all over again. It was like picking a scab open and you just kind of want to leave it alone, let it heal. Um, But what really helped was, I mean, just the, again, the perseverance. Um, You don't see changes from session to the next session. Mm. Um, But over time, you know, I kept notes during therapy with all my goals and, like, different exercises I was doing. and After a few therapy sessions, I would look back at the goal and see if anything was changing. And I would notice it, given a lot of time. And that's what pushed me to keep going. I knew that these uh, negative feelings or reliving of these negative experiences I was having um, were temporary, and it actually was helping. And so I just learned to trust the process.
0: Mm. Trust the process. Yes, No, I love that. I I tend to say journey a lot. Uh, because it is a process and I think we, we sometimes come from our, even our birth experiences or even preconception. Um, and we look back and we're like, you know, what helped us to be able to get through purple? Yes. Purple. What helped us to get through? And we soon see that, you know, a lot of it has to do with our tenacity, right? You spoke of perseverance, um, and understanding that it's not an overnight thing, but it is something that can happen, and we all get to that place. Um, so I'm really thankful for you sharing that. Um, of yeah, you also uh, you mentioned your little one, but I don't think that you mentioned their name. Oh,
1: um, her name is Athena, and I will just say it's kind of fitting because if you know the Greek goddess Athena, she was... Um, her, her birth was being cut open from her father's head so I like to say that our little Athena was cut open from my womb so it's, it's
0: kind of fitting Oh, it is and I never knew that so thank you yeah. for sharing that that's sweet yeah. when you talk about your little one um, I can hear you smiling um, so I know I know that y'all's relationship, I'm sure, is so sweet. Share with me a little bit about how you think that maybe your birth experience or even your day-to-day experiences coming off of having delivered baby girl, like what do you think you've taken into parenthood that you think has really helped you?
1: Um, I, I guess I learned through trial by fire almost to... Find strength. Um, it wasn't something that I would have chosen for myself, uh, but it definitely added to the strength that you need for motherhood, um, and <laughs> you need strength in so many areas. Um, and n- now that I'm in a much better place, uh, I have a lot of gratitude, I guess. Um, and I just, I don't know, I feel a lot healthier now looking back at it, and so. In my daily interactions with her, I just recognize that I'm not as tired as I was. I'm not as scared as I was. Mm. Um, and that kind of helps me to feel more confident and, and mothering.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like we all get to that place to where we, we definitely can say <laughs> that our experiences are something that helps us to grow. Um, But I always like to say we are definitely not our experiences. What do you think are some maybe some helpful affirmations that you speak over yourself or over your motherhood experiences from day to day? Because I know we spoke a lot about Maybe some of that guilt that existed or even grief that existed within your birth experience. And so if you see mom guilt showing up or any other things showing up, what what sorts of things, specifically affirmations, do you find most helpful?
1: Um, that's a good question because I don't know if I explicitly ever say affirmations. Maybe I should. Um, but I guess two come to mind that I, I tell myself without realizing. One is that I survived. Mm-hmm. And I'll look at everything I survived through and just, and again, feel grateful and strong and amazing. Um, and uh, the other one in a nutshell is like only I can give my child a happy mother. And so that helps mm-hmm. with getting over the guilt. Like if I need to take a second to myself, um, if I need to go to therapy, uh, just whatever I need for myself, I, that helps me to feel okay because ultimately um A happy mom for Athena is the best thing for her, Um, and being able to receive um, undivided love is the most important thing for a child.
0: Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Um, You mentioned uh, a moment ago, you know, without a happy mom, there is no happy baby. Like, you, in order to have your family and your unit run likely for the most part, it's a mom who's typically managing all of those things and kind of making sure that mountains are moving. And so when you see yourself um, doing those things to the best of your ability, we obviously know that sometimes our self-care isn't always a priority. And so what are the things that you know about maybe your body that another mom can pick up on and maybe listen to that's helpful for you um, to really... Go back to therapy or to do some of the self care routines that are most helpful for them. What do you notice about yourself when um, maybe something is lacking, a need?
1: Um, well, there's obviously the big signs. Like before I went to therapy, where I would space out during the middle of the day or like panic attacks. I mean, those are really like those are stop signs that you right. can miss That say I need to go to therapy or have self care. Um, but then there's other ones that I kind of learned about through therapy where. Um, I mean, just look at your body Are your muscles tense mm-hmm. or your teeth clenched or your, how, how close are your shoulders to your ears, you know, just all well, things like that. And if you notice regularly that, that you're showing signs of tension, um, you just might need to consider um, what can I do for myself, even a little bit of something today so that I can refill my cup and and be a better mom to my child.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it sounds like you're doing an amazing job, Danny. I really appreciate everything that you shared um, about your birth experience and um, where you're at now and the things that have helped you along the way. What do you think you would tell as we're wrapping up? What do you think you would tell your, yourself before you had your baby? Um, maybe about motherhood or about just like how to maintain your identity? Like what, what's something that you would say to yourself before you had baby girl. Um, just
1: considering the experience I had. Uh, let would say that your, you know, your birth might not look like what you see everywhere. Um, that's because a lot of the times difficult births um, are kind of pushed into the shadows. Mm. Or the, the person that experienced it not, might not be ready to share. But they're still there and you're not alone in that difficult experience. And that you're going to get through it.
0: For sure. Yeah, I really appreciate that. Um, even me hearing, you're going to get through it. Um, and I, again, am 22 months out and, you know, had a traumatic birth experience myself. And I think day to day, we just have to have those constant reminders from other moms that, hey, I've been there. I've done this. I'm on the other side of it. And, things can get better. They will get better. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Is there anything that is just tugging at you that you would love for another mama to hear or even a dad to hear?
1: Um, well, really just a closing statement would be just thank you for providing this podcast, um, related to what we just said so that other, um, parents can hear stories that might be untraditional and not feel so alone or shame or guilt or you know that that checkbox that we went through Mm -hmm. earlier so they don't have to feel those things and they can um, find stories like their own or some similarities in their story. So thank you for that.
0: No, I really appreciate you sharing that. I really do. And I am extending so much grace for you even telling your story. Um, I'll tell you, I was listening back to it Earlier, um, just some snippets, and um, it's just it's just beautiful. Like a lot of times, people hear pain, and um, it's very difficult for them to to hear um, the beauty within it. And there are definitely moments throughout your story where. Like, I smiled to myself thinking, like, damn, like, Danny is so strong. Like, it's pretty crazy. Um, So I I just, it's just so amazing to hear other women's stories. And it brings so much hope, even for the future. I'll tell you, like, I plan in the future to have a VBAC. And, um, like, hearing just the hope that you have within your story and other stories that I've heard as well um, helps to boost my own hope. And, um sheds light yeah. on the road that we have ahead. So just thank yeah. you for everything that you poured into the Birth Story Therapist podcast. And yeah, I wish you so much, so much strength going forward and support. Thank you.
1: And you too. Yes, I hope you can get that feedback. And if not, I hope that just motherhood
0: goes well for you, no matter how that looks. Yep. Thank you again, Danny. I appreciate you. All right. Thank you, Crystal. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. As always, it's important for me to know that this podcast does not replace being connected or receiving therapeutic services from a licensed mental health clinician. If you are experiencing a life threatening emergency, please call 911 or go to your local emergency room. You can also find additional resources on episode two, one being postpartum.net, where you can get connected with support groups as well as therapists, psychiatrists other providers within your community that may be of service to you on your motherhood journey. Again, that resource is postpartum.net, but you can find additional ones on episode two. Thank you.